everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Keibel and John Mikulski. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher. This is episode 12, Typewriters in the Classroom for September 27th, 2011. As always, I'm your host, uh, Sean Keibel, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Mikulski. Say hey, John. How you doing, everyone? <laughs> so, uh, so John, I, I didn't put it in the warm-up, but I figured I would throw it in there. We've actually taken a few weeks off. Yeah, you know, I, um, I went back to school. Being in, in Buffalo, we start uh, about a month after you do, Sean. Right. So uh, I wasn't very, very nice to you. And when you went back to school, I just kept uh, scheduling more, more shows. <laughs> but I, I very tactfully put it in. So I had a week off to uh, reacclimate myself to teaching. And, and now we're back from that. So it's been about two weeks since we, we last talked. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it has. It's been a good break. Uh, actually, it's funny. The timing actually worked out very well for me uh, because the first couple of weeks weren't that bad. Uh, but the week that we took off was really the week I needed to take off. Things in the classroom started to heat up and, uh, I was really busy. So, uh, so that was nice. And yeah, that's our first, our first recording break that we've taken. And of course our listeners, uh, will not, uh, you know, they're not going to feel any effect from that because, uh, we were so far ahead and that's, that's due to John's hard work. He's, uh, he's a great show scheduler. What can I what can I say, John? If we ever turn this network into a multi billion dollar uh, company, you're, that's going to be your job. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just schedule stuff. Right. <laughs> All right. So uh, before I get into the the real heart of our warm up, I wanted to jump in and just say uh, we have our guest, uh, Mr. Ryan Adney, already with us. He's joined us uh, a little bit early, and uh, I say early. We actually started late, but uh, we do have him here for the warm-up, which is not uh, usually the case, uh, and he's a classroom teacher, so we are actually in his classroom right now, and uh, so if you hear any background noise, that's what it is. We're going to go ahead and push on anyways. Uh, I think we'll be fine. Uh, so uh, on to the rest of the warm-up, uh, and John, I know you had question as to what this was, uh, the DigiNotar hack. Um, right. And DigiNotar is a company that issues SSL certificates, and these are the things that tell you that you're on a secure website. Um, there's a limited number of companies around the world that actually are able to issue these things. And browsers like Firefox and Internet Explorer, they see these certificates, they have a list of companies that are allowed to issue those certificates, and your your browser checks against that list and says, yes, this is a trusted certificate, and so yes, this is truly Bank of America or truly Google or whatever company, uh, whatever website, secure website that you're trying to access. Uh, so. Uh, without going into too many details, when this company was hacked, and it's presumably by a lone hacker, uh, but it was a very serious hack. He managed to get actually inside the company and start issuing his own certificates that uh, looked like they were coming from DigiNotar. Um, it, it basically made nobody safe on just about any website. Uh, so you could think you're going to Bank of America or, uh, I mean, you name it, any site that you worry about possibly getting hacked. And uh, this guy could spoof that site or uh, there's several different types of attacks he could do. But he could get your information, get access to your accounts. Uh, it's about as scary a scenario as could possibly be. Uh, with that said, there's one way that you, the user, the end user can protect against this, and that is by keeping your system up to date. And I've mentioned these things in the past, uh, as far as updating windows and when windows says, Hey, I need to update. Um, and, but that also applies to your browser. Uh, your browser has built in security features, uh, so that when hacks like this become known, they, they have countermeasures that they put into place. So those countermeasures are already in place. But if you are on Internet Explorer or Mozilla Firefox or any browser, um, uh, as of the last that I heard, um, uh, Apple was the only one that has not come up with a fix yet in, that, in Safari. But uh, you want to be updating those things. So if you're 
if Firefox says, hey, I need to be updated, then update it. If okay, Flash says ahead. that I need yeah, to be updated, then update Flash. So uh, there's that background noise. Yeah, right. <laughs> the hustle and bustle of the classroom. No, uh, that's them racing out of the room, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure every teacher listening right now knows that sound uh, all too well. It's kind of a friendly, uh, you know, you can take a sigh sound. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's funny how much we love the bell as much as the students do. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's just the note that I wanted to throw out there. You know, update your browser, update your computer. When it's asking to update, go ahead and let it do it because it's going it, to, more often than not, is trying to keep you safe. You know, I, you're kind of on, uh, beyond my realm of, of the tech nerd experience. Like, I kind of get what SSL is. So I don't really understand um, the importance and, and that kind of thing. So um, I'm feverishly Googling while you're talking uh, to try to have something to say about all this. And it, it, <laughs> the only, only information I found, I guess I can add to the conversation, it says that uh, there were 531 certificates issued during this attack. So that, that's a lot of um, pretty reputable sites. So like you were saying, Sean. Um, you have to kind of stay up to date on your browser just to make sure that you're not going to be affected by one of those. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, it, it's it's amazing to me that this didn't get more press. But I think the main reason it didn't get more press is uh, the geeky nature of it. I, you know, I think any stories that did get out about it, uh, most people you know, when they hear the details of it, they're not too interested in it. But I, th- I think it's just it's lost on them how serious it is. Um, so basically still want to put out there though. This is a hacker that has not been caught and certificates were issued. Um, browser updates block against those specific certificates. But if you're running on an old browser, uh, you are basically at this hacker's, uh, uh, what am I mercy. trying to say? Yeah, exactly. You're at this hacker's mercy. Uh, so, uh, you know, as you listen to this, if you have not updated your browser or you're not sure that you have, uh, go and check. You know, you can if you're using Firefox, you can go to Mozilla dot uh, Mozilla dot org and, uh, uh, you know, or Internet Explorer. Usually Internet Explorer is pretty good about letting you know it needs to be updated and uh uh, but, you know, go and check. Make sure you're running the latest version of your browsers and all of your plugins, uh, Flash and Java and all those things as well. So uh, that's about it. Uh, Ryan, are you uh, you ready to, to join us here? Has, has class officially let out? Uh, class has officially let out. Yep, we're ready to go. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with no further ado, then I'm just going to lead right in. Uh, again, I, I mentioned before, our guest today is Ryan Adney. He's a teacher with the Phoenix Union High School District, uh, the Alhambra High School. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to let you uh, just tell our listeners a little bit uh, about yourself. Well, I've uh, I've been teaching for, <clears throat> excuse me, this is my eighth year. Of teaching, uh, I teach at a inner city high school, mostly Title One. Uh, I I'm currently assigned to teach juniors, yearbook, and newspaper. So my day is filled with, um, well, with the addition of the typewriters and the computers for yearbook. I have a, a whole span of technology from 19 teens all the way to 2011. So I get to really see an interesting viewpoint when it comes to technology. All right. Well, I, I'm going to start off with uh, we have a very interesting uh, topic, and it's using typewriters in school, which is counterintuitive to what, uh, what our show is about. And, uh, <laughs> and just uh, I, I think te- technology and education in general. So uh, so I'm going to start off with that. Uh, and I'm also going to throw in here that basically we have a couple of typewriter geeks on the show today. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I let that slip during our last show when we were talking to, uh, uh, what was his name, Jamie, uh, the guy from, from Google. I, I mentioned that I'm kind of a, a romanticist when it comes to that stuff. I, I too, have a, a basement filled with typewriters right now, Ryan. So um, I, I was telling Sean earlier, I don't even really care if we record this episode. I just really wanted a chance to, to geek it up and talk with you. So. <laughs> And, you know, typewriters are can be really geeky, it's almost as geeky as computers can be, because uh, there's so so much about them, and it's such a, a long history of them that there, there are lots of different types of, of typewriter fans, so I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about it, too. It's one of my favorite topics 
it annoys my wife to some degree, but that's okay. Oh, I, I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I figured I'm going to be probably sitting back most of this episode because I'm the one guy in the room right now that does not own a typewriter. <laughs> so yeah. you, uh, you, you peaked early in the show by talking about SSL certificates. It's all going to be downhill for you from there. <laughs> right, right. So uh, with, with that said, guys, uh, g- get into this. I'm, I'm just interested as a listener, so I want to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> So go ahead, Ryan. How, how did you start with the typewriters? How did you get to that point? Well, uh, the, the, this journey, this madcap whirlwind started a couple of years ago with a typewriter that was in our school library. It actually was one of the originals that the school had bought when it opened in 1961. It was a Royal FP, and if, if you guys want to look that up on the Internet, it's, an, it's a really nice-looking desktop typewriter. And I'd seen it in a little luncheon area in the back of the library for for years and i you know i i looked at it and i i had not paid much attention no one had paid much attention to it it sat there it started so it was a little rusty and so one day just on a lark i asked the librarian do you mind if i check it out and she said there's not even a barcode on it was her response so i checked it out and i brought it back to my classroom this was during my lunch period and I really started to get into it. I, I was really excited. It was fun that there were there was a physical, mechanical way for you to put letters on a piece of the paper versus, you know, using the computer. And it it just became, uh, you know, it's a real romantic notion that uh, that this was how people made documents that they intended to be, you know, final drafts, permanent documents, things they wanted to save. And it just it gave me a real sense of connection to history. And that. So that was really the one of the impetus for starting with the typewriters in the classroom was this little this old typewriter in the library. Yeah, I like it. I I, I googled that, so <laughs> yes, I did get to see that uh, Royal FP. I know exactly what you mean, Ryan. Um, there is it's just a more personal connection with what you're writing. I know when I I got one of my first typewriters, um, I actually looked on. And there are some people who do things called typecasting, and typecasting is basically a blog you keep, but what people will do is they'll type on the typewriter and then scan that into um, the computer and post it as a blog post. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to try I'm, that, because you, oh, you do that as well, don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that very sin. I mean, it's, right. it's, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And, but Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I, well, I was going to say it's also a fun way to evade the Google uh, text parsers. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you can't really have a spider sent out to uh, to read through old typewriter text, huh? No. Guys, I gotta I gotta jump in here and say this could be a business. <laughs> I'm looking at the prices on these things. Uh, Thirteen hundred dollars, a thousand dollars for these old typewriters. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. And you know, actually, what you what you're seeing, and John could probably. Uh, can probably verify this is that within the last, I'd say, 24 months, maybe even less, maybe the last 18 months, uh, typewriter prices have almost tripled. If you go on Craigslist, it, if it was like two years ago, you typed in typewriter on Craigslist, a whole bunch of stuff would have come up. Probably nothing over 40 bucks. But now, because of you know, there's been a couple of you know news articles written, a couple of um, you know, couple of blog you know blogs that really latched onto the typewriter. You know, this entire, you know, with, with Twitter becoming so, you know, so popular and immensely, you know, used by everyone, there's, there's kind of a, there's an interest in recovering some of those, those old ways of doing things. And the prices have gone up as a result. People want them. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the amazing thing, too, is uh, you can still find parts for them. You can still, I, I, when I started collecting some of mine, that was the first thing people said was, well, do they still even work? And absolutely, you can actually go right down the road to any of the office supply places, Office Max or Office Depot or whatever you have in your area, and they still carry cartridges for them. They still carry the old spools. So um, not only are they, there's certainly plenty of them out there, but they still work and they still do have that purpose. And there really is just something very intimate about typing on a typewriter. I know the first time I did my, my first blog, my, my first uh, typecast, I was typing and I, I was kind of reflecting on how I came to purchasing that first typewriter and I post, I, I wrote something about uh, going on Craigslist and then it, it, it kind of uh, hit me that that there, that typewriter was probably from the 19, early 1960s. And uh, I thought no one had ever typed the word Craigslist on there before, because when that 
typewriter was being used, that wasn't a word yet. So it's just kind of a, a more intimate, uh, close feel with the, the things that you're actually writing. I, yeah, I totally agree. And and that's, I think, what what really lures students into them. I'm, I'm sitting here at my desk right now, and on the wall I have some cheap Ikea shelves just filled with, I have 20 typewriters on those shelves, and I have them everywhere. And it, it it's so amazing to even begin to think about some of the stuff that was written on these machines, you know, the love letters, you know, business correspondence, you know, people expressing themselves. It just, it, it, you can feel in a typewriter, the, the energy someone has put into it. I mean, that's kind of a cheesy metaphysical thing to say, but you, you, they, they have that feeling. They have a feeling of permanence. I mean, they were all designed to last for, you know, more than five, ten years. I mean, some, you know, typewriters still work very well that are a hundred years old. So there's a, there's a feeling of, you know, stolid, you know, permanence about them. And that's a, it's a really comforting thing in a very impermanent society that we have today. Well, you know, uh, Ryan, the, in saying that, uh, it's funny because just as you were describing that and, uh, you said, you know, it kind of sounds metaphysical or whatever, but it did conjure up memories. I have, uh, I have an uncle who passed away, uh, uh, oh gosh, probably 20 years ago now. Uh, but he was a, uh, a New York, uh, not a New York, a Los Angeles Times reporter. And he's actually a famous reporter. He's he's the reporter that's responsible for uh, the law that reporters don't have to give up their sources. Um, And uh, so I kind of I remember getting that feeling of being around his typewriter and especially after he passed away, uh, because, uh, you know, he did he actually did jail time uh, in cover in over his coverage of the Manson murders. And that's uh, so people who don't know the history of all of that, that's how that law actually came to came to be is uh, he refused to give up his sources and he ended up doing a couple of years in jail for that. Uh, (laughs) But it's going back and uh, I haven't haven't seen it for years and I have no idea if it where the thing is anymore. It's, it's kind of sad actually, but I do remember going back in his old office and seeing that old typewriter and getting that feeling, that exact feeling that you're talking about. It, it's like you can almost sense the history there. Right, yeah, and, right and, now, and, Ryan's totally licking his chops going, Oh, that would be a great typewriter for my collection. <laughs> <laughs> you can always send it to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> right. It's a good home for it right here. Well, I tell you what, if it ever turns up, I, I know uh, I know a couple of guys. I might, I, I might have to auction it <laughs> off to you, too. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, he's thinking, wow, they go for a lot of money in the last 24 months or yeah. so. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. All right, so I have a question then, Ryan. Um, and I again, I'm in a similar situation. So a teacher in your building sees this whole row of typewriters uh, on your wall. The first thing they're going to ask is, why? why? Why are you wasting your time with those? So what what advantages have you found with using these with your kids? Well, the... the what I've been calling the classroom typewriter project. And it's really, it's turned now into a two year. This is the second year of, of me investigating, uh, student writing. Not so much. It's really the, the project isn't centered around the typewriter is one exciting means of getting students to, to compose. But I look at it as a, a simple choice. Some people love to use pencils for things. Some people love to use pens. Some like to use purple or pink or whatever. And I think that a student who's given an option to compose in a way that suits them is going to compose either more or better or with more heart. So that's, that's, that's the, the impetus behind it. I, I, I could, I could also say that, you know, there's a lot of things that the computer offers that other things don't necessarily it's it's distraction free writing same as if you were writing with a pen or a pencil you don't necessarily have to let in any other you know technological noise um you can you can focus if if you choose to focus and it is a really great way to get students interested in something that for them is ancient but really 
has only been gone in the last, what, 30 years or so? I mean, the typewriter has fallen from grace. I mean, for 100 years, it was the preeminent way to do a final draft of a paper or anything else. And then in the last 30 years, it's just become computers. And not that that's bad. I think that, you know, technology does advance. But it's interesting that even in this small microcosm it is, it, it shows how fast and how far we've gone. So if, you know, if that teacher comes in and says, you know, why are you using the typewriters? I said, why not use a typewriter? What, what says that one methodology of writing or one technology, and a typewriter is a type of technology. It's not a very new one, um, but it does have a lot of sophistication in it. Um, if you were to, well, it's a tangent. I'll get back to that later. But, you know, it's why not use a typewriter? It's just as good as anything else. I mean, there's some ways in which it's not very good. You can make mistakes. You can't correct them easily. But there are ways to do that. But I always tell my students, don't make the mistakes to begin with, and you won't have to correct them. <laughs> well, I think that's a great lesson anyways, right, is, you know, just learning to, you know, students nowadays, it's so easy, and even us, we're, it's so easy to, to uh, take the technology for granted. But here's a great way to step back and say, you know, look how easy you got it, you know. And then, I mean, even more than that, it something that I've seen with using the typewriters, for, especially for composition, for writing, is that when you, I mean, some kids, a lot of kids have bad handwriting to start with. So that's a benefit. That's like, that's initial, you know, plus is that it's easier to read for a lot of kids with these, like, either the micro writing you know, the ones who, who seem to have a microscope when they're, when they're making their, you know, doing whatever, or kids who just, you know, seem like serial killers in their handwriting. Uh, but it's, that's great. And then also what it does is using a typewriter makes very evident the mistakes you make. And I can give an example because we were using them today, uh, a little earlier. Uh, we were working, we, we just read Anne Bradstreet's Upon the Burning of Our House. And, their assignment was to create a parody of that poem following the same structure and rhyme scheme and that sort of thing. So as some kids were drafting, and they had the option, typewriter, if you want to, it's not required. And I was getting a lot of, I'm making a lot of mistakes, which is a really great thing because it's a very metacognitive you know, result. I'm making a lot of mistakes shows that they're identifying where, you know, that there are mistakes to be made and that, they have to go through a process to correct them. They have to identify the mistake, think of a correction, and then correct it. And it's it's nice because I love word processors and I use them and all those sorts of things. But you can always right click and find the correct answer. There's not a lot of you know reinforcing that you know that correct answer is the correct answer because you swap the i and the e or something else like that. So it creates more careful writers, writers who are choosing words, asking you know. Yeah, how do I spell this word? Pulling out a dictionary. I mean, it's a very old-fashioned way of looking at things, and we kind of romanticize the old-fashioned writer with their typewriter and their dictionary and the great, you know, spirit and soul behind their words. But that's really what writing is. It's, you know, it's the mind, it's the words. It's very little computer. It's it's very much words. You know, Ryan, I, I've seen the same thing. Uh, I only use uh, manual ones. I don't know if, if you use electric typewriters or not. But what I found with the manual typewriters is that just the physical force you need to press the key down and have that key strike forces the kids to slow down their writing. And I've seen benefits from that because that extended time forces them to really think through what they're writing about. And the fact that you can't just go and backspace and delete things out uh, forces them to really pay close attention to uh, their sentence structure and the syntax and, and spelling and grammar and all those things. And that's kind of always been my argument. My little typewriter experiment that I do in my room is that that actually produces better writing. It's slow. It's a slower process, but it produces better demand writing because it forces them to slow down a little bit. I don't know if that's what you've seen, but uh, that's one of the big advantages I have to, to playing with these old, old machines with, with my middle schoolers. One of the things that I also think is really great about uh, the typewriter is that, like like you said, John, that it, it slows down the process, but it also requires kids to reread what they just wrote because they're they're putting words down, but then they can't necessarily remember their their tra they lose their translation, so they have to go back and reread. And 
I really want them to reread after they get the words out. But if they're rereading at any point, looking at those words that they've chosen and making a decision, and it's not very green and it's not very environmentally friendly, but I love it when there's a pile of, you know, manuscripts that aren't good enough because it shows a good revision process and we do recycle them. So don't worry. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the, that's the spirit of writing. It's the, it's the, it's, it is a labor, but it should be a labor of love. And I think that this, this humble little piece of, you know, these 10, 15, 20 pound pieces of, you know, metal are really a, a way to get that out in such a way that it's novel. And I think that there's definitely a, a component. It's a novel component. They've not really used one before, but I have to say that I do have kids who use them over a long term versus just they use it for a while, they get tired. Some of them do, but there are some that really get into typing a manuscript and they really enjoy it. Be honest, Ryan. Tell me tell me about the noise when you have 20 typewriters going in a room at once. <laughs> it. It fulfills my dream of creating a working time machine because then I feel like I'm in an office pool in the 1950s. It, it is a bit loud, and it can be a little distracting. And I've had some kids say that it's distracting. So we don't use them every day because, I, you know, I understand. I have one kid, his name's Arturo, and he really he the, gets to him. But I'll say this for, for noise. Uh, it, you know, like... If you're driving on a, a road late at night, you get that white line hy hypnosis and you just kind of get into a zone where you're just, you know, you get kind of, you know, zoned out. The great thing about typewriters is that noise gets you zoned in. You know, it's that repetitive, you know, whacking of the type bar against the paper. And it, for some reason, I don't know why, and then there's probably a scientific explanation or maybe there's no scientific explanation, but it really draws kids in. Kind of, kind of like that old-fashioned, well, when you're a kid and you have those little, uh, you know, xylophones made of metal, and you just kept hitting them for no reason apart than it made the noise. And it, it was just the joy of making the noise. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. But it can get noisy and it can get distracting. But I, I say, eh, they listen to loud, distracting, annoying music anyway. What's what's the sound of a typewriter for, you know, half an hour? It's not that big a deal. Yeah, that that you see, you're bringing back all kinds of memories for me. This show, this is just great. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I did. Uh, I learned how to type on a typewriter in my high school. I mean, that's uh, now I went to a very large high school, and typing was a class, and we had a dedicated typing teacher in a classroom full of I don't know, probably forty typewriters. Uh, now they were electrics. But I do, I, you just brought back vivid memories of being in that classroom and hearing all of those machines going and the bells ringing as it was returning. And uh, I also remember leaving that class and for like the next 30 minutes, you still had that symphony kind of playing in your mind, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah, great, great memory. Uh, and it's kind of, as you think of it that way, it's kind of sad to think that uh, a lot of uh, kids nowadays, you know, they're not going to ever experience that. And uh, maybe that's, you know, we're starting to sound like our grandfathers now. Right? Well, <laughs> you know, sometimes things that, you know, we, the, the, I guess I'm going to lament. I'll be, I'll be lamenting. It's the sad thing about society. I guess I do sound like an old man. Is that sometimes the good stuff? You know, sometimes things that are genuinely good, like paper, newspapers, and you know, typewriters and things like that, that aren't harmful or requiring you to give up convenience or things like that. I mean, there's there's better ways to do things like that. But um, you know, sometimes you want to keep things around, not because you know you can replace it with something that's new, but because you know sometimes the old things are a little nice. And I remember, I do actually remember, uh, I did learn to use a typewriter. It was in middle school for me. They had a computer lab, but it wasn't really, you weren't really allowed to use it very much because I guess they were so expensive and so rare and precious that it, it was, it was like on a rotational basis. You did a third in your typing class and they had IBM Selectrics and that's what we used to, to learn how to type. But no, when I hear those noises, it, it, it takes me back to, to that to that point too it's really it's like it's a good time machine absolutely 
Wow. So, uh, so is this something that uh, I loved listening to both of you actually talk about the writing process and how slowing it down uh, can actually make it better. And that completely makes sense to me. Um, uh, so is this something that uh, one, you employ yourself? Uh, is it more widespread than just your classroom there? Uh, and uh, two, uh, are you are you putting together a movement to where uh, it maybe raise awareness or because I could see that it wouldn't be a bad thing if every campus like had one just as a teacher tool that, you know, if you had a kid who was just, you know, struggling with that process that maybe needed to slow down like that, uh, that you could throw them back on one of those machines. I mean, what do you think? I, I really think that there's actually hit a couple of really great. The, the question had some excellent points. One of them is it's tangential. And I'll go with that first is I, I'm looking into the way that a typewriter and its kinesthetic audio audio components could help kids with uh, autism spectrum disorders. And I'm really interested because I know that I, and I've only done the most basic, you know, kind of cursory look at this stuff, but I, I do know that audio or sound therapy is used for kids with, with autism. And I, I'm wondering, I have a, I have a gut feeling and gut feeling isn't science, but that's the great thing about, being a person is that you can go with a gut feeling is that there might be some benefit for kids with learning disabilities uh, using a typewriter that maybe the computer doesn't necessarily fulfill. Um, and it also could cause more problems. I mean, there's some kids who are hypersensitive to noise, but maybe if we chose the right typewriter with the right noise and the right situation, it might really work for them and allow them to, to express some of those things that they, you know, have trouble expressing. But as a movement, well, I'm, I'm, I think we're making inroads. Uh, just today, the, the school librarian found an old typewriter. It's, it was, a, uh, it was another FP like that one I found. Um, and he came in and he said, do you have a ribbon for this? And I, of course I have, I have ribbons up the, up the wazoo. <laughs> and so I got it all set up for him. And my fingers look like I run a mimeograph operation because they're purple right now. Uh, but I set it up for him and got it going and, you know, did a very quick little tutorial and it's sitting in the library right now. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, it's, it's a movement in that two years ago, and this is, this is a great success. I think is that two years ago, kids didn't even know what a typewriter was and now they know. So even if I impart one tiny bit of cultural memory in them that they don't have when they, you know, see an old movie and there's this guy sitting at, you know, crazy machine and they'll be like, I know what that is. It's a typewriter and they know how to use it. That'll that'll be nice. I mean, it gives me a good feeling that, you know, we're we're continuing some of the good stuff that is important. Uh, I really would like to get typewriters into other classrooms, and that might be the next step when I um, start looking at some of the stuff here. I might start putting them in other rooms and seeing what other teachers do with them, because um, I have enough. I have a lot of typewriters, so I think that that would be a really great little experiment to see what what a teacher would do with it, given given the option. So we'll see where it goes. So how, for how anyone about that you? Wants to, oh, go oh, ahead, I'm sorry, John. I was just I was kind of curious about you, John. I know you have typewriters, but uh, fill us in a little bit on on yours. Uh, you know, uh, how many do you have? Have you used them in the classroom before? Uh, yes and no. Actually, I I first connected with Ryan because he found my blog that I posted about using typewriters, and uh, at that point, before that point. I figured I was the only guy in the world that was doing this. And, and then I went to his website and uh, saw that he, he's like a full year ahead of me. He's already uh, <laughs> implemented them. So I, I'm actually not only am I not uh, unique, I'm actually behind the eight ball here. <laughs> and um, so that was kind of a blow to my ego. Thanks a lot, Ryan. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> I, I have started using them a little bit. Um, I, I have somewhere between a dozen and 20 that work. Uh, you know, lots of times I'll get them and um, and they need work or they, there's some keys that stick or that kind of thing. So I, I try to uh, find time to fix them up. But I, I haven't used them kind of at a, a wide-scale uh, project like Ryan's done, but I've used them very sm in small little projects, little experiments, I guess you call them, with, with some of the kids. And I have um, ex experienced a lot of the, the, the same successes and the same values to using these that, that Ryan's talked about. So, yeah, hopefully in the next year or so I, I'm going to start kind of uh, – pushing them out there a little bit more with, with my students uh, and, and then hopefully follow in, in Ryan's footsteps. Awesome. Awesome stuff. 
Uh, and so, if anyone wants to join um, our our revolution of two here, uh, let me just plug it real quick for him. Uh, Ryan's website is magicmargin.net, and there's all kinds of really cool um, typewriter posts on there. And then actually, I'm looking through it now. It looks like you you put a lot of pictures of your own classroom up there too. Is that right? Yeah, I I really um, I want to show that we're we're it's like it's not talk. It's like they're really the typewriters are in the hands of the kids and they're really excited about using them but also i put on there just other things one of the things that if you get into using typewriters in your classrooms is that you're going to have to learn to be very technical very fast and there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to want to do that you know i'm lucky enough that i have a pretty decent typewriter repair shop here it's in mesa so it's kind of far away but uh his name's bill wall and he's a great guy and if you can find an old typewriter repair guy in your neighborhood and tell him what you want to do, uh, I got a couple of machines from him. And one of them is actually it's beautiful uh, Underwood desktop. It's an Underwood standard that has a wide carriage. And I have this kid, Jay, who just loves to sit with at his desk. And he's really mastered this art of um, concrete poetry. You know, what con- everyone knows what concrete poems are. Oh. Yeah, they, they're in that shape. And he, he was working on this one of, in a heart. There's like this little love poem. It was sappy, but I mean, he's a teenager. So what can, what can you expect? But it was in the shape of a heart. It was just really amazing to see him think of these words and then physically make them. It's quite a skill. So I'm, you know, definitely, you know, look around. Uh, Goodwill is a great place to, to look, especially if you're, neck of the woods hasn't been hit with the typewriter but if there's any hipsters in your neighborhood you, you're not going to find a cheap typewriter <laughs> but uh you can definitely goodwill is a great place um family friends i've gotten a couple from i got a couple from teachers here at school so they're out there i mean especially since even the most uh rare typewriters were still made in the multiple thousands i mean average ones like a a great one is a smith corona Silent or Silent Super or any Smith Corona from the 60s. Great typewriters, very rugged, easy to use. They have a light touch. I mean, multiple millions of them. You'll find them and they'll be in good shape because they weren't cheap when they were new. Well, well and you mentioned things- the technical part of that. And uh, I can just say a quick story. The first time I brought a typewriter, and it was the very first one I had, and it was one of those Smith Coronas, and uh, I brought it in and, and I, the kids said, well, can we type like our name on it? And I said, Sure. So they're kind of playing. It was before homeroom, so they were kind of milling about. And the first time a kid got to the end of the carriage and it, it dinged, the kid jumped back and said, oh, oh man, I'm so sorry. I broke it. <laughs> they didn't even know what that was. That was such an, uh, uh, an unfamiliar thing to them. So there's so much technical piece of that in addition to the actual you know, mechanical pieces that you have to know how to, to, to fix. But just how it works is a whole new world for them. I know the, my favorite thing to do is I'll give them uh, – one like when it's a, if I have a new group of kids or a new student, and I'll say to them, "Well, find find the one. Where's the one?" Because on a lot of the older typewriters, to save space or save money, they they wouldn't have an actual number one key. They'd have a lowercase l key that doubled as both, and that just blows their mind that <laughs> that that kind of stuff happened back then. So yeah, it's a whole new world for kids. And one of the things that one of the things that I like is to have them, especially those older ones, find an exclamation mark. Because there isn't, you had to craft one yourself with the with the apostrophe and a period, and and that's a fun thing for them to do too. Because it's it's really it, you know makes them think out of the box. Like how would I make this mark appear? Uh, you could do paragraph. You could do all kinds of really interesting marks if you if you know good key combinations and you can move the the platen a little bit and and adjust the paper. But yeah, it there's the it is. The, the mechanical aspect of a typewriter, I think, is, is for me, that's one of the most fascinating things. Like, I like typing, and I do type, and I like it for its its ease of composition and, you know, letting me get those words out. But what I really love is the mechanical parts. You know, all these moving, there's, there's millions of little screws, not millions, that's an exaggeration, but there's thousands of little screws and springs and levers. And to imagine that a human being sat down pre-computer, pre-CAD, you know, CAD, and drew out where all of these springs and levers are going to go and how they need to interact and how they need to you know, move about to work properly, to imprint, a le- just to make something center, simple, a letter on a piece of paper, do that consistently time and time again, and then build a machine that would last for 100 years or more, you know, a machine that was designed 
unfortunately, I have to cut in here. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty and lost the, uh, the last little bit of uh, the interview with Ryan Adney. So I uh, apologize for the abrupt ending there. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you're working with technology, those those sort of things seem to happen. Right, John? Yeah, we need that. Ooh, this is this is a perfect time to to mention to you that maybe we should get a hold of some sound effects or something because that would have been great just to have a wah wah right at the end there when <laughs> or it maybe an off. explosion or something right? <laughs> yeah, I like that Boom. better. Yeah, explosion. But um, yeah, it was just a few minutes left of of his interview that that got cut off. And um, again, like we mentioned in, in the interview, um, you can find Ryan and all of his work with with typewriters at magicmargin.net. Um, and, and keep in touch with him through that, and, and he would probably he'll cover anything on there that may have been cut off um, of of the podcast. Right, and uh, Ryan, we certainly appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on the show, and apologize uh, for the, having that happen. Um, and uh, uh, certainly, it was no. Uh Nothing intentional. We we <laughs> we love the typewriter talk, right? Um, myself, and especially that this was like I think I, I mentioned this is uh this show was more just for me to get a chance to, to talk geek with him. I didn't really care whether he recorded it or not. I was going to find a reason to talk to him anyway. So <laughs> it was just convenient that it was recording. Right. And and for me, it was kind of funny, you know, in, in looking at the show notes originally, I thought, Really? You know, kind of had that first thought of, okay, well, uh, you, you know, yeah. sure, I, I've got all kinds of faith in you, John. I got no problem. You you line up some great shows. So I said, okay, let's see where this goes. And uh, I, I told John off off the air that that show was uh, actually, or that interview, I guess I should say, was really uh, one of my favorite ones. It, it really was. And, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned a couple of times in there how he had conjured up memories of the past and childhood and everything else. Uh, so, uh yeah, it was just a great one. Well, don't don't challenge me to see how far I can push the envelope. You don't know who what what kind of guests I'll bring on if you keep letting me get away with uh, <laughs> ones out of the ordinary like this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm thinking that at some point you're gonna bring somebody on who talks about uh, using Muppets in the classroom or something. Yeah, hey, you never. Yeah, uh, this is a chalk and slate expert. <laughs> Oh, that is great. Uh, all right. So uh, with that said, and with uh, our many apologies going out to uh, everyone out there, uh, let's uh, go ahead and, and forge on, and we're going to cut right to our tips of the week, or I should say tip of the week. We've got one. Uh, John, you, you dug up a pretty good one this week. Yeah, this is actually a really cool site, and uh, now that I'm back in school, I'm kind of back into the, the professional swing of things. And I've always tried to find uh, things to be doing on my own that I, I count as professional development or professional growth. And this is a really cool one that uses a, a site. Let me explain the site first. The site is called Mighty Bell. It's just MightyBell.com. And anyone can um, sign up to either create or participate in what they call experiences. And basically experiences um, are, are little mini online courses that people create. And it's usually a series of different things that either you write or you you do, and, and it's self-guided, and it's asynchronous. So as you go through, um, you perform these tasks, and you can see in the log other people who, who have also done them and interact with them. And, and the idea is it's kind of like a, a self-betterment. And um, the, the one that I found that I'm participating in right now is called Teacher 2.0, Using the Web for Your Personal and Professional Growth. And it's about, uh, I'm sorry, and it's, it's hosted by um, a, a pretty big-name educational technologist uh, named Steve um, Hargadon and and he set it up and I'm currently doing that and actually you have a a Steve Hargadon uh, connection don't you? Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. It's funny the timing of this and uh, it, we've seen this several times on our network where we have just amazing timing with these sorts of things. So we actually are having Steve Hargadon on the Tightwad Tech. Um, uh, actually recorded uh, the interview already and that's going to be released as episode sixty six. And on there, we talk about uh, a lot of what Steve Hargadon has going on in his life and how he got started in doing what he's doing. And um, we talk about Mighty Bell and also uh, a new endeavor of his uh, Teacher 2.0. So uh, if you're not familiar with Steve Hargadon out there, uh, one of his biggest claims to fame was uh, Classroom 2.0, which uh, I've I've, uh, been... Uh, a member of for quite a while and have been uh, gladly, uh, you know, telling people about it uh, ever since. It's a great site that uh, is just a, a wonderful network and resource. It's actually uh, it was a Ning network. And uh, 
uh, had something like 60,000 uh, educators in there. So it was a pretty robust uh, sort of social network for teachers uh, where you can get all kinds of uh, you know, resources and bounce ideas off of other educators and just ask for help. And uh, it's just an amazing site. So uh, he's kind of moving away from that because Ning went to the kind of paid for uh, program. Uh, right. And so he's uh, moving kind of his attention from that towards Teacher 2.0. And, uh, and then he also is kind of partnering with Mighty Bell. And, John, you're right. Uh, I'm doing the Teacher 2.0 uh, Mighty Bell experience as well. I didn't know. You, so you're actually doing that, right? Yeah, I've, I've only done uh, a few of the, the little tasks so far. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't remember how many there are total, but... Um, it's kind of neat because a lot of them, at least the way he set it up, it's a lot um, of, of different tasks where you kind of either explore your your beliefs about teaching or technology, or or you're asked to reflect on certain aspects of yourself, and um, it really is just kind of a a great way to feel a little bit more connected, and it grounds you a little bit more to some of the things you're doing as a professional, and and that's why I, I like it. Plus the 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 fact that it is asynchronous and. You know, if you you don't have time for a few days, you can kind of skip it as opposed to some of the other um, services out there where they do have like online learning uh, for free where it's a little bit more scheduled. So it's a great alternative and it's a great way for any teacher who's looking to kind of get back into the swing of things with the new school year starting. Um, It's a, a nice site to take a look at. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I signed up for it as well and uh, was going through the steps, mainly as research for having him on the show. And I thought it was great, uh, it, you know, going through these steps and for teachers who maybe, you know, don't have much of an online presence, but really are kind of feeling like maybe they should, uh, but they don't really know how to go about that. Uh, this is the perfect resource for doing that because you get stepped through it. You know, it's one step at a time. And he, he has you, like you said, you know, do some self-reflection and, uh, you know, first just figure out, well, you know, what do you want to accomplish in that arena? And then, and then there's also the steps of, you know, how you go about doing that. So, um, it, it's a great thing. Uh, and it, you know, John, what struck me about this is I looked at this mighty bell, um, which is just mightybell.com, but, um, that as a teacher, you could actually, it's a, it's an interesting way where you could actually maybe set up some, uh, you know, some, uh, projects or whatever for your own students and actually you know it's just a different way to uh maybe have them uh learn something right oh absolutely i mean there's no i'm sure there's no like grading component of it but i mean really who cares it's a great place to be able to organize some information and organize um responses from students so yeah i I never even thought of it that way but coming from the teaching angle it's a, a cool site that you could potentially use with your students as well yeah, and, and you know, I guess it depends on uh, what exactly uh, what your coursework is, but um, and, and I'm sure it takes some time to set up, so it's not something you want to just jump in there and five minutes later you're going to have something ready. But uh, just the format of it is really inviting, and uh, I, I think I I rifled through six or eight of the steps pretty quickly because uh, I was just motivated to do so. It was a neat interface, and it was something that was uh, uh, kind of a different format than when you what you're used to uh, dealing with. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So uh, the link to that, uh, the the Steve Hargadon's experience on Mighty Bell, at least, is uh, somewhat complicated. <laughs> yeah, we we won't be saying that out loud. You can uh, reference the show notes on that one, I think. Uh, but actually, I imagine you can probably search for it even just by going to uh, the MightyBell dot com website as well, if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They have a search bar right up there at the top of the of the main page. So MightyBell dot com, and you can uh, search for Teacher Two Point I believe uh, was the way I found it. Correct. Um, so, or. Uh, and this is a perfect segue uh, into uh, how you might uh, contact us or keep tabs on us. You can go to our website and uh, check the show notes uh, for this episode, episode 12, and uh, find a link directly to that and just uh, click on that and you'll be whisked away to Steve Hargan's Mighty Bell experience. Uh, so the way you would do that is uh, go over to elementop.com. Uh, there, uh, you're going to, of course, find out information about all of our shows, but uh, in particular this one. And you can go over to the Tightwad Teacher, and uh, you're going to see our latest episodes and all of the show notes and links that we mentioned during the show. Uh, you can also contact us. Uh, the uh, I always throw the, the in front of this. The is not included in our email address. Just 
tightwadteacher at elementop.com. So you can send us an email there. Uh, You can also uh, check us out on Twitter. And the way you'll do that is search for Element OP. Uh, Go to the Element OP page on Twitter. And there you will find uh, several lists. We have a drop down with lists there. And one of those lists is Tightwad Teacher. And you can follow that. And that's going to give you a... uh, I guess a, a collection of both mine and John's tweets. So you can follow both of us there. Uh, also facebook.com slash element uh, You can go there. That's gonna, you're going to be following really the network page. So you do get information about all the shows there. Uh, if you want to follow us uh, directly, uh, the show does have its own Facebook page, but until you get 25 likes, you really don't get the vanity Earl. Uh, you get like facebook.com slash eight, nine, six, five, four, J nine five two, right? About as convoluted as the Mighty Bell link that we're going to send. Right, exactly. So, uh, so for now, if you just go to Facebook dot com and searched uh, the Tightwad Teacher, you should be able to find us. I encourage you to go over there and like us. So during this portion of the show, I can say Facebook dot com slash the Tightwad Teacher. That would be really nice. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So uh, hop onto Facebook, find us, and like us, please. And uh, last but not least, uh, you can call us and leave us a, a message at 530-FRUGAL, F-R-U-G-A-L-2, the number 2. So 530-FRUGAL-2. Uh, call in, leave us a message if you have uh, just a comment or maybe a question, uh, anything uh, that you'd like to maybe uh, possibly get onto the show. We certainly uh, might do that. Uh, and if you don't want that on the show, please mention it. Uh, also, please mention that that is a call for the Tightwad Teacher. So uh, that number... Uh, right now is kind of a consolidated number for all of our shows. So uh, usually we can tell the difference. You know, usually we know what people are talking about, but uh, not always. So uh, anything else to add, John, before we head out of here? No, I think uh, it was the show I was looking forward to. And, I, I, and I'm happy that we, we I got a chance to talk to my 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 personal uh personal hero across the u.s <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah there's so there's like you two and like one other person somewhere right you got to track down and, and trust me if i can find that one other person they're going to be a guest on the show so you just you <laughs> wait for good. that be, i will i would look forward to that yeah. <laughs> what's that so yeah there'll be uh, typewriters in the classroom part two <laughs> sounds good sounds good yeah i'd certainly look forward to that show so uh all right well that'll do it for this week uh thank you everybody for joining us and listening in and for now i'll just say this is sean signing off and john signing off